Why doesn't God always heal? As I've reflected on this question, I've thought about Lucy in C.S. Lewis's classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. As you might remember, Lucy and her three older siblings are sent to live with a professor in the English countryside in order to escape the Nazi Blitz. Now, this professor lives in an incredibly large house. And the children do what any group of children would do in an incredibly large house. They play hide and seek. <laughs> Lucy hides in the wardrobe and realizes that she's rather cold. She wraps herself in a coat and presses herself against the very back wall so she is as hidden as possible. And she discovers something interesting. There is no back wall. Instead, Lucy finds she's in a forest in the winter, and she stumbles upon a fawn. Lucy is somehow in another world, there in the midst of her own world. She stays with the fawn until evening, sharing tea, conversation, and music. When Lucy finally steps back into the wardrobe, not a single one of her siblings believes her story of the world that she has experienced. Lucy is pained at her siblings' disbelief, and she's confused. She knew Narnia was real. She'd been there. But back in the professor's house, Narnia seemed distant. And Lucy had no power to will herself back into that world. The pain and confusion that brings us to ask, why doesn't God always heal, reminds me of Lucy's experience. We know that God desires to heal. In fact, in Exodus, God introduces himself, saying, I am Yahweh, your healer. We know that Jesus healed, the apostles, apostles healed, and some of our brothers and sisters have been healed. Yet others of us cry out in pain when our prayers for healing appear to go unanswered. Perhaps ours is the pain over the loss of a son or daughter, pain over an agonizing disease, pain over the premature death of a spouse or parent, pain over the inability to conceive a child. Disease and illness are reason enough for a plea for healing. But neither can we ignore the emotional and mental pain of broken relationships, depression, anxiety, grief, shame, and guilt. We are a people in need of healing in so many ways. And sometimes God seems distant. Sometimes we feel we've done everything right. We prayed in Jesus' name as we believe he told us. And still 
there's silence and more pain. Scripture lays down two foundation stones on which we can find an answer, on which we can construct a biblical doctrine of healing. The first foundation stone is this. Jesus Christ has inaugurated his kingdom. The second is that Jesus has not yet consummated his kingdom. Let's start with the first stone. Jesus not only announced the arrival of his kingdom, but he demonstrated its arrival by mighty works. He healed the sick and resuscitated the dead. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He multiplied loaves and fish, rebuked the wind and stilled the storm. Jesus cursed the fig tree so that it withered. Above all, Jesus conquered death. He was raised to a new and indestructible life from which he will never die again. The visible signs are powerful. They bear witness that the kingdom of God has erupted into heavenly, into, has erupted, <laughs> has erupted into human history in and with the person of Jesus of Nazareth. All nature recognized its creator and submitted to his rule. Even as I say this, a question mark arises in my mind and I think in yours, because there is an obvious difference between the signs of the kingdom that Jesus performed and the signs of the kingdom we see today. To be sure, some sick people receive miraculous healing in answer to prayer, but others do not. Plus, we don't walk on water. We don't multiply loaves and fish. We don't curse trees so that they wither up. And nobody but Jesus has risen from the dead. Since Jesus won the victory with his resurrection, all things should be set right, but they aren't. How can we make sense of this? We make sense based on the second foundation stone. While Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom, he has not yet consummated his kingdom. In healing the sick, resuscitating the dead, and subduing nature, Jesus gave a kind of preview of his glorious kingdom in its perfection. He gave us glimpses of what the universe is going to be like when the kingdom of God has been fulfilled. Today, however, the universe is still in bondage to decay. It still groans in distress, longing to be redeemed. Our bodies, so fragile now, are going to be resurrected and made like the resurrection body of Jesus, and there will be no more hunger or thirst, no more pain, disease, handicapped or death, no more tears, 
but these things belong to the future. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but the kingdom of God has not yet been consummated. So you and I, we live in the in-between times. We live in the interim period between the first and second coming of Christ, between kingdom inaugurated and kingdom consummated, between the already of the kingdom and the not yet of the kingdom. So we must learn to live in this tension. To say that miracles never happen is to deny the already of the kingdom. To say that miracles are always happening is to deny the not yet of the kingdom. But to say that miracles are sometimes occurring is to preserve the already and the not yet together. And so we continue to pray for healing as we should. So I am suggesting that God doesn't always heal our bodies because the kingdom has not yet been consummated. That is why we pray, as Christ told us, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray and the healing does not come, it's not because God doesn't care or because we lack faith. It is because the time is not yet full. Yet because the kingdom is inaugurated and has broken through, sometimes we do receive miraculous answers to our prayers. From a human perspective, the already but not yet is hard to accept. Our God of compassion tells us to ask for healing but he also tells us that we are not in control of the times and seasons of eternity. In the midst of this, Romans 8.28 helps us deal with our pain and confusion. There's a lot of theology packed into this verse, and I can only touch on it briefly. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What we notice immediately in our verse begins with the word, we know. Paul and his fellow apostles did know. They had suffered all kinds of tribulation and affliction. Their knowing is so encouraging because there are so many things in life we don't know. For example, if we go back to verse 26, we are told that we don't know how to pray as we ought. So what is it that we can confidently say we know? The first thing we know is this. God works. There's a variant in the Greek text. One reading is God works, another is all things work. It doesn't really matter because the truth is precisely the same. It is that God is sovereign 
in all the circumstances of our lives, whether he is working things together for good, for those who love him, or all things under his sovereign hands are working together for good. Whichever way it is, Christians are not fatalists. We do not believe in chance or in luck. Neither the history of the world nor our own personal history is a random succession of events. No, we know that God is at work. The God we believe in is not a God who lounges in some celestial deck chair, dozing and dreaming, unconcerned with what is happening here on earth. Romans 8.28 says, God is doing something. May not be something we'd like him to do. Of course, that's another question. But God is doing something. God works. That's the first thing we know. So what is he doing? The second thing we know is that God works for the good of his people. The goal of all his activity is our good. This is the recurrent theme of the entire Bible. God does not directly will evil, and disease, sickness, and death are evil. A few examples of how God works for the good. Remember Joseph, reflecting on the cruelty of his older brothers, who had sold him into slavery in Egypt, he tells them, even though you intended to harm me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people. God overruled the evil intentions of Joseph's brothers to all their good. Remember Moses when he's trying to improve his people's obedience to the law, he reminds them, the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our lasting good so as to keep us alive. Or remember Jeremiah, when the children of Israel lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem and their temple are being taken into exile, he prophesies for the Lord, For surely I know the plans I have for you, plans for your good and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. So naturally we ask, what exactly is this good that God is working in our lives. Verse 29 tells us, the good that God is working is to conform us into the likeness of Christ. From the beginning, God's eternal purpose has been to restore us to his likeness that has been distorted since the fall. The Christian life is all about growing in holiness, growing in Christ's likeness, so God's likeness is more and more recognizable in his people. This may not be what we want to hear, especially when we are groaning in pain. 
physically or emotionally. When we hurt badly, the present world is often the only one we can perceive as real. We forget that our Narnia, heaven, is real. So we know that God works. Second, we know that he works for our good. But what do we do as we struggle? How should we respond when we are faced with illness in ourselves or in a loved one? I have five suggestions. First, make no demands on God. Some people believe our healing was purchased by the atonement, and we have a right to demand it. Since God introduces himself as our healer, we know he wants to heal. Yet we have no right to demand healing on our terms. Neither scripture nor experience gives us that right. So how should we approach God? Do you remember how, in the beginning of the Narnia story, the children asked the beavers about Aslan? Here's how the beavers answer. You see, Aslan is not just a lion, but he is a great lion. He is the king of the beasts, the real ruler of Narnia. Then Susan asked the beavers, Is he safe? Mrs. Beaver says, If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Lucy asks, Then he isn't safe. And Mr. Beaver says this famous line about Aslan. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. My second suggestion is, don't be critical of yourself or others who have not received physical healing in answer to prayer. Many people have prayed to be healed and have not been healed. And we can't possibly dismiss these as failures, saying they were due to unbelief or to disobedience. No, we must not pile guilt upon pain by criticism. Third, be persistent in your prayers for healing. We do have some biblical right to hope for healing and even expect it. Disease and sickness had no part in God's original purpose in the creation of the world. And they are no part of his ultimate purpose in the new heaven and new earth. Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom. There is the already in the present time. And his resurrection power can be experienced in our mortal bodies. So we have some right to hope for expect healing either through the natural processes he has put in the human body or through his gifts of medicine and surgery or miraculously. Continue to pray for healing. Fourth, ask the Lord 
to help you see how he is at work in the midst of your circumstances. Even when God doesn't physically heal, he is present and he is working. The Bible is full of images and metaphors for God's constant loving and active presence in our lives. For example, he is the good shepherd. He is the father who would never give his child a scorpion when he has requested an egg. He is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Finally, anticipate the new heaven and the new earth. Cling to God's promise that Christ will come again in power and great glory to consummate his kingdom. He will raise our bodies like the body of his glory. He will abolish disease and death and wipe all tears from our eyes. Allow me to say these things again so you can remember them. Don't demand from God, but ask. Don't be critical of yourself or others if healing doesn't appear to come. Be persistent in your prayers because we do have some biblical right to hope for healing. Ask God to show you how he is at work in your life, even when you are disappointed in his answer to your prayer. And anticipate the consummation of the kingdom and glorious, perfect health. C.S. Lewis could only present a limited picture of Christ in Aslan, but he was on to something important. Christ is not safe. He is not predictable, but he is good. He is trustworthy. His love is from everlasting to everlasting. No matter what our circumstances, let's walk with him. He is king and he is good. Amen. Please pray with me. God of love, your son brought healing to the sick and hope to the despairing. We pray for all who suffer pain. Give them the comfort and strength of your presence and surround them with your healing love and power. May they know the fellowship of Christ who bore pain and suffering for us and won victory over death. Bless those who share with Christ a healing ministry. Use their sympathy and skill for the relief of suffering, the conquest of disease, and the restoration of health, and crown all their efforts with good success. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.